We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 today. And we're going to finish this chapter. As this is a time now where Paul is exhorting, is telling the church, he was encouraged now, he's saying, he was refreshed now, he was saying, by their spiritual growth. And if there is something that we want this year, is spiritual growth. There are times in our lives where we want to grow certain areas of our lives. We want to maintain, we want to really focus in on certain areas of our lives. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, after having received a very tough, hard letter to receive in 1 Corinthians now, now Paul writes again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, and he says, I am encouraged now by the spiritual growth that is taking place. Did you know that in order for spiritual growth to take place, repentance must also take place in our lives? In fact, there are times where we ask for revival in our lives, and we say, Lord, I want a personal revival in my life. And if you want personal revival, first we must ask for personal repentance. Because the moment that true repentance happens, or when true repentance takes place now, Revival will always follow. If you want revival to follow, you want revival to take place, ask the Lord, Lord, today I come in confession and I want to repent because your word promises me a revival every time the church repents, his people repent. Now we know that he starts off by saying, you know what, I'm encouraged by the spiritual growth. And yes, I was sorry initially when I sent you this letter. But this sorry that I, this this godly sorrow that I had or that it produced in you actually produced repentance. So therefore, I don't feel bad for giving you this letter or this teaching or this doctrine or now this exhortation. You see, there are times sometimes we feel bad or we feel maybe a little too that that message came off too strong now, and sometimes we can even take it personal, like that person doesn't like me, that person's after me, whatever it would be. And Paul said, this was a difficult message for me to give. Just like it was a difficult message for you to receive, this was a difficult message for me to give. And as he gives that message, he says, and initially I was sorry that I gave it to you, but when I saw what it produced in you, therefore I did not regret it, because it produced and it bore fruit in your life. And today that's what we're going to see, that, that true repentance bears fruit. The title of today's message is, The Fruit of Repentance. If you like taking notes, write that down, The Fruit of Repentance, because we're going to see how real repentance looks. Let's go ahead and pray right now, and as we pray, we're going to dismiss the youth to go out in the back as well, as they have their message. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. And we pray, Lord Jesus, right now, by the power of your Spirit, Lord. That you would minister to us, Lord. That you would change us, that you would speak to us, God. Lord, convict these areas in our lives, Lord, when it comes to the fruit of repentance. We want to know how real repentance looks. That godly sorrow would produce repentance in our life, Lord. And we ask this all in your name, in Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. Amen. So we know that godly sorrow produces repentance. This is what Paul says. Therefore, he wasn't sorry. Therefore, he did not regret giving them this difficult message. 
There are some times that, that we have sorrow for some type of sin or something that we've committed in our lives. And, and we maybe cry about it. We feel regret. Maybe we, we are anxious about this thing that we're backslidden into. But that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is more than just feeling bad. Godly sorrow is more than just a feeling. Godly sorrow is followed by action. It says, yes, I maybe fell or walked into sin. I walked into temptation. Maybe I feel conviction for the sin that's taking place in my life. I, I, there is a feeling of remorse of a sorrow. However, it's followed by action. That is godly sorrow. What good is it if we say we feel sorry, but nothing ever changes? Has someone ever told you that? Maybe I'm sorry. I, I really am sorry that that's happened. And you hear it time and time and time again. However, nothing changes. That's not really them being sorry. There's no really change. There's no transformation. And we learned last week that repentance is a change. Listen to this, a change of mind. When you repent, you're saying, I'm changing my mind. I'm no longer walking that direction. I'm no longer going to be a part of that. I have repented from that that I was a part of before. It's a change of mind, repentance. Repentance is also a change of intentions. No longer do I, not only do I change my mind, I've also changed my intentions. I no longer even have the intention now or the purpose now or the desire now to go and to repeat that same thing that I was stuck in or enslaved with or I was sinning in. It was a change of intentions as well. Repentance is also a change also of direction. That means that if one, way, one time or one year at one point in my life, I was headed one direction, I have stopped, I repented, now I'm going a different direction. Now repentance is a change of direction. But what also is repentance? Repentance is entirely a change of action. And repentance doesn't produce condemnation, I'll tell you that. There are times we think that we need to condemn someone so that they can feel repentance. Repentance doesn't now produce condemnation. It produces conviction. And you know what conviction is good in your life? Why is it healthy? Why is it necessary in our life's conviction today? Because it can, the Holy Spirit works in your life to convict you of what that, that of which does not belong in your life. And we need to ask the Lord, Lord, give me strong convictions so that I follow you close. So that I'm separated from sin. So that I'm following you and I'm walking towards God. And today I pray that you ask the Lord for strong convictions this year. Because either you will have strong convictions or you will have strong now or you will fall into some kind of heavy compromise. Are you a part of compromise or do you have strong convictions? Now this sorrow that he's talking about as well is the one that reminds him of the goodness of God. It leads you to repentance. Conviction also reminds you of how good God is. It reminds you that His blood covers you of, his, of your sin. It reminds you that now you have the opportunity of being forgiven. That Jesus Christ went to the cross. That's what the conviction, that's what the godly sorrow reminds you of. It leads you to repentance. The Bible tells us in Romans 2.4, Do not despise the riches of His goodness forbearance or his forbearance or how do not despise how tolerant he is and how long-suffering God is not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance there are times that we despise how tolerant God has been with us 
We despise His patience in our life and we almost abuse the grace of God because God is patient and He's going to give me another chance and, and God is always going to be here so that, that we're comfortable in a backslidden state. And today I pray that you're not comfortable sinning any longer, living that life any longer, living in a state where you're saying, God requires more of me. God requires more of you. God requires repentance from you. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is in 2 Chronicles 7.14. The Lord gives His people a promise while they're in a backslidden state. Look what He tells them in 2 Chronicles 7.14. He prophesies now. This is what's going to happen. They're going to be in bondage. However, when they're in bondage because of their sin, when they're backslidden because of their sin, because of their compromise, look what it says. If my people... This is not a verse for the non-believer. This is a verse for the believer. <laughs> I've seen churches before put this verse and show it to the community for the community to repent. No, this is not a verse for the non-believer. This is a verse for the church. This is a verse for you, for me, for us as a church, as a body of Christ. If my people who are called by my name, look what it says here, will humble themselves. There is never a better place. There is never a better time if you want God to work in your life that you would humble yourself. You know how repentance looks like? Repentance looks like humility. Repentance looks like humility. If my people who are called by my name would simply humble themselves. It starts there because God's people, we as a church, can be so filled with pride that God's spirit is not able to flow in our lives. Humble yourself, it says. If my people will humble themselves and pray. You, you notice how you have to humble yourself so they can go to God in prayer. See, when we're filled with pride, we will never pray. Humble yourself and pray and then seek my face. And turn. That's amazing here. Turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You want forgiveness and you want healing? It takes that you would humble yourself Pray and seek His face. This is the repentance that leads to revival. And sometimes we say, you know what? Well, repentance is a strong word. We want to talk about the love of God. We want to share the grace of God. Repentance is too strong for us. It maybe sometimes come off as something that is harsh now. Or sounds harsh. But I want you to know that repentance is an essential aspect of the gospel. It's an essential aspect of the good news. In fact, you cannot have the good news. You cannot have the gospel without repentance. You cannot have it. If, if someone shares the gospel without now offering the opportunity of repentance, that is not the full gospel. That is not the full gospel. In fact, it has been said before that repentance is the first word of the gospel. <laughs> if you read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John the Baptist Preaching the gospel. What did he say? The first word. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 2. Repent. Turn your ways. Change your ways. Stop living in sin. Repent. Now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need repentance. We need not only repentance initially when we're born again. But listen to this. We also need daily repentance. Daily repentance. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, what does Jesus do? And Jesus began to preach. Listen to what he says. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Why is it that John the Baptist, the greatest prophet the Bible has ever known and that we have ever known about, the first word that he ever preached was repent. The first word that Jesus ever preached was also repent. And then after Jesus went to the cross and went to the tomb and ascended into heaven, Peter now was filled with the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost now. In Acts chapter 2 now, the Holy Spirit filled that place and people from all over now came into Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost or the Passover feast. And there at Pentecost, Peter now stands now as seeing people that are filled with now the Spirit of God. And he says, and Peter said to them, what does he say? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why is it that we need to repent? You might ask yourself, you came in today and you're saying, man, this, this message is all about repentance because repentance is needed. Repentance is needed. There are areas in our lives today that we have to say, Lord, we want to repent from. Why is repentance needed? Repentance is needed because you cannot continue living in sin. Repentance is needed because we cannot continue living in laziness or spiritual apathy. Repentance is needed because we need an awakening in our lives. Because if you're not repenting, that means you're accepting sin in your life that God does not accept. Therefore, we need repentance in our lives. In Romans chapter 6 verse 1 it says, What shall we say then? This is to those that want to abuse the grace of God. This is to us who sometimes we want to stay comfortable in the state, in the current state that we're in, that we are content living now a lukewarm life sometimes. In Romans 6.1 it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace would abound? Should we continue in a lifestyle of sin so that we can say, you know what, God's grace is going to fill my life so it's okay. Let me just enjoy the grace of God and let me walk into these different liberties that I think that I have and where I'm compromising in my walk with the Lord. Should I continue in sin that grace would I bound? Verse 2 answers that question. Absolutely not. Certainly not. <laughs> How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That's why repentance is needed. Because we cannot call ourselves a believer, but still living an old life. How should we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you that were baptized into Christ, have you been baptized? You know what you said? That old person went, was buried now in that water. A new person came out. That old person doesn't exist. But you would say, well, you don't know, you don't know my life. The Bible says that Jesus made everything new. You have no more excuses. Old things passed away. You can't keep blaming your past for how you're walking with the Lord today. There are a lot of people who will say, well, you don't know my past. I don't have to know it anymore because God said you're a new creation and He wants to heal you from that if you would just come to Him. Don't blame your past for how your spiritual walk looks today, please. Do not do that. And then look what it says here now. Or do you not know as many of you were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death? You died, therefore you were buried with Him through baptism to death, that just as Christ was raised now from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. That means if that person that was fornicating no longer is fornicating. That person that was getting drunk no longer is getting drunk. That person that was addicted to pornography is no longer messing with pornography anymore. That person that was doing now uh, drugs is no longer doing drugs. That person that was committing adultery no longer is committing adultery. The person that was lying, that was cheating now. 
that was stealing. No longer are they doing those things now because they have chosen the way of repentance. Have you chosen the way of repentance? Because when you come to the cross, what you're saying, I'm carrying the cross. And you know what the cross is, is symbolic of? It's symbolic of love. But when you carry it, it's symbolic of death to self. That is what the cross is symbolic of. When you wear your cross, you're saying not I, but Christ. You're saying His will, not my will. When you wear that cross every single day, you're saying, Lord, I want you to do a work in my life, not me. And Paul here is saying, you know what? I, I've noticed that this hard message had an effect and therefore I rejoice. <laughs> as difficult as it was, I rejoice because of what it's produced, right? It's like a father almost saying, you know what? About to discipline his son you know, or his daughter and saying, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to spank you. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, right? The little son will say, well, then just spank yourself then if it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. <laughs> right? But he's coming with a tough message, a necessary message, a healthy message, a message that would produce godliness. No pain? You've heard it before? What does it say? No gain. <laughs> we love it. We love the conviction. We need to love it because it's a motivation for life change. And I pray that this week as we pray, as we fast, this would be a motivation, this repentance for life change. Ask yourself, what do I need to change in my life? Because even if it was hard, although it produced repentance, it was profitable. It was profitable. Paul is saying in verse 9, I'm happy for the effect that this letter had. Therefore, I do not regret it. Initially, I was sorry, but guess what? Sorry, not sorry. I don't regret it. It produced godliness in you. Let's read verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where we left off. For godly sorrow, listen to this, produces repentance leading to salvation. What does the repentance lead to? It leads to salvation. The word salvation means it leads to rescuing. It leads to delivering now from sin. When you repent now, when you have godly sorrow that leads you to repentance, it's for salvation. That's exactly why we have to ask, Lord, give me daily repentance so that I can daily forsake those sins and I would be delivered from them and I would be saved from sin. When we say saved, you have to ask yourself, what are you saved from? I'm saved from being in bondage to sin. You are saved from being in bondage to sin. You're also saved from eternal hell. That's where you're saved from. We have to ask ourselves, what does that mean to be saved? Saved from eternal punishment. Saved from eternal hell. Saved from your sins. Therefore, when you repent, when that godly sorrow is produced in your heart, and you repent, you're being rescued from that lifestyle. And it's leading you to deliverance from sin. That's why we have to say, Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Holy Spirit, bring conviction in my life. Holy Spirit, bring conviction because it profits in a life-changing way. Now it says here, not to be regretted, therefore I do not regret this. But the sorrow of the world produces death. That is worldly sorrow. Why does it produce death, worldly sorrow? Because it lacks repentance. Now just don't say I'm sorry and nothing changes. That's worldly sorrow and it produces death. Why does it produce death? Because it says I'm sorry, but I'm not willing to change. 
I'm sorry, but I'm not willing to give that up. That's worldly sorrow. I'm sorry, but I'm not willing to humble myself. I'm sorry, Lord, but I'm not really willing to confess that or to give that up or to turn away from that or to follow you wholeheartedly. That is worldly sorrow. It's just a feeling, an emotion that passes away. There have been many times where we maybe come to church and we feel this emotion, this feeling, and I know the Lord is speaking to me, but then we say, you know what, we kind of convince ourselves by Monday morning, we talk ourselves out of that. And we go back to that type of lifestyle. And therefore, nothing changes. What does it do? It produces death. It doesn't produce any life change in your life. And you remain in spiritual failure, you remain in sin, you remain in remorse, you remain in just defeat now. It's just emotional because you're going to go back to that lifestyle. It's important that we read here that it says to salvation because you cannot have salvation without true repentance. That is not the true gospel. That is not the true gospel. You cannot have salvation now without true repentance. The grace of God gives you an opportunity to repent now. And as we repent, we're saying, Lord, this sorrow is leading me to repent. Guess what? And as I'm repenting now as a church, as the body of Christ, as your son or as your daughter, I am putting my faith and my trust in you, Lord. I no longer want to live that life. I no longer want to be a part of that. I no longer want to be stuck in that. And this is a sorrow that describes a feeling, not only a feeling, but it describes a change of both the mind, listen to this, the mind and the life. Is there a change of mind today? Maybe today you need to change your mind about certain things. Change your direction about certain things that your life would change. It's not just an emotion, it's followed by action. That's why we can't really measure repentance simply by tears. Simply by I'm sorry. Simply by I know. I won't do it again. That's not repentance. Repentance is followed by an action. It produces something. Right? And therefore it's not to be regretted. You would say, well, you know what? I I went through so much now. And I went through heartbreak, and I went through pain, and I went through separation, and maybe I even went through losing my job. But all of this caused me to repent, therefore I don't regret any of it. Because it produced now repentance. And if you're going through these situations, but it's producing nothing, then are you just comfortable in a backslidden state? Like Alan Redpath said this, true repentance is not only a momentary act. It's not something that you just feel one time. It's not a momentary, but it's a constant attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. Listen to this. Repentance is an attitude of the heart. And if there is real repentance, it's going to be demonstrated by the attitude of the heart. And the attitude from there, it will bear fruit of real repentance. Did you know that now when the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders came to John the Baptist, you know what John the Baptist told them? They came in their nice gowns and long tunics and and there were scribes and religious leaders of the time and they they knew the law and he said, you know what? You you, you snakes. (laughs) Bear fruit worthy of repentance. And just imagine someone coming to church and and today, you snakes, bear fruit worthy of repentance. I mean, that sounds opposite of what we're hearing today. Today, you want to get a pat on the back. You want to make sure, you know, I just want to feel good. I, 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 I want to leave church feeling the best. You know what the best feeling when you come to church, besides the, the, in the presence of God, you know, in the presence of God, knowing the presence of God, the best thing that you can experience at church 
in the presence of God, the best thing you can experience is conviction. Conviction. Because you leave different. Hungry for conviction. But he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now we're going to see the fruit of repentance in the life of the church of Corinth here. Because there was fruit. There was godly sorrow that led to repentance. But that repentance bore fruit. Now it was bearing fruit. And it was a beautiful thing. That's why repentance is a beautiful thing because it bears fruit. Just imagine looking at someone's life and now seeing the transformation and you cannot believe it. I was talking to a few of the brothers even this Friday night and saying, you know what? What I'm saying, you know, I was struggling with drugs and alcohol and that was another one. You know what? I told my friends that I wasn't drinking anymore and they asked me, is this, is this a temporary thing or is this a permanent thing? I mean, what is this, man? Are you, what's wrong with you? What happened? But that's what repentance looks like. I used to be that person. I'm not that person anymore now. God is working in my life. God has changed my life. Repentance is not temporary. Repentance is ongoing and produces permanent fruit in your life. It produces permanent fruit in our lives. Look in verse 11. Look at the fruit that it produced in the life of the church of Corinth now. Because we're going to see here now seven essentials of what it produced or seven evidences of the fruit that it produced in the life of those in Corinth. This is the fruit of repentance, these qualities that it produced. It says, For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. It was in a godly way, that sorrow, that grieving that you have. I pray that the Lord would give us tears for our sins, that we would produce now godly sorrow. But look at what it says here. These seven now evidences that when they were exhorted, when they were corrected, they repented and they changed their ways. There was an evidence. They changed their ways. Number one, it says here now, verse 11, you sorrowed, but number one is here, what diligence it produced in you. Number one, repentance produces here diligence. Write that in your Bible, please. Because it takes diligence. It takes diligence not only to turn from those sins, it takes diligence to stay turned from those sins every single day. I want to be diligent about this. I don't want to just repent one time. It produced diligence in me that not only did I repent, but I continue to repent. The word diligence means earnestness. It produced faithfulness. You know what the, the, the opposite of diligence is? You have diligence in one side, and the other side you have laziness. <laughs> we can become very lazy and comfortable, but when you repent, it produces diligence in you. That means that I am diligent about serving the Lord. I'm no longer lazy about it. I don't just offer the Lord anything. I offer the Lord something with diligence. I offer the Lord something with faithfulness. I offer the Lord something without excuses. I offer the Lord diligence. Repentance produces diligence. That means that in my life, I'm diligent in the prayer. I'm diligent to come to church. I'm earnest. I'm faithful when it comes now to reading the Bible. When it comes to serving the Lord, I'm there now at the required time. Because guess what? There is a diligence that is produced in my life. It's not sloppy, my spiritual walk. It's not lazy, my spiritual walk. It's not stuck in the mud. Why? It's diligent now. I love that word. Because that word, it talks about the faithfulness in your life. Diligence. That I've remained, I've, I've remained constant. I've remained faithful. I've seen people that have just, you know, promoted from such a small, simple job at their work. 
they remain just diligent and diligent and diligent. And the Lord has given them more and more and more and more. Why? Because diligence is very powerful. But what happens in your spiritual work? Is there diligence now? Number two, let's read what else repentance did for them. Verse 11. It produced what diligence it produced in you. Now, number two, what clearing of yourselves. Number two, repentance produces clearing of yourselves. What does that mean, clearing of yourselves? Well, clearing of yourselves means that you are cleared from guilt or from change now. Clearing of yourselves also speaks about to shine something. Notice this. To shine something like a crystal or to be crystal-like or brightness in transparency. To shine something so bright that it's so bright it is shining like now with transparency or with brightness. That's clearing of yourselves. Have you ever been somewhere maybe and you had a ring or a piece of jewelry that you took it to get cleaned? And after you get it cleaned, you just want everyone to see that ring now or that bracelet. And you're just trying to get it into people's attention, right? Because it's clean, it's shining bright, it has been cleared away from anything, any blemish. You know what repentance does? It, it, it clears away from any blemishes that was in your walk, in your spiritual life. It has a clearing away effect on your life. Do you see how that happens? What's a clearing away? It produces purity. That's clearing of yourselves, purity. It produces transparency. It produces brightness. Now in Ephesians 5.11, what does it tell us here? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. When you go and you clean someone, well, guess what? They look at under a microscope and they see all the blemishes and say, we're going to attack all those blemishes. We're going to cover it. We're going to clean away those blemishes. We're going to clear those out. And it's going to shine bright with transparency because we've exposed now the blemishes now. And it's been, they've been cleared away. Repentance produces that. A clearing away from our lifestyle. But what else does repentance now produce? Verse 11, let's look at it. What clearing of yourselves? Number three, what indignation? What indignation? Repentance produces indignation. That's not a word that we commonly use, but it means now uh, an anger or a righteous anger against evil or against sin or a hate against that which you once were attracted to. Have you noticed that there are times where God rescues you from something and then when you think about it, you're almost like, you hate that. That is so disgusting to you. That is so not appealing to you as it once was. And you're saying, Lord, how could I possibly been a part of that one time in my life? There's an indignation. There's a hate against that, which is evil. There's a righteous anger. Is there any righteous anger in your life where you're, you're I mean, I, there is some righteous anger against that. I want nothing to do with that. You do not bring that into my house. You do not bring that into my life. You do not, I do not accept that. I, I have righteous anger when it comes to these things. Indignation. I love that, indignation. I love what John Wesley, one time he wrote in a missionary letter as he was requesting for missionaries to come and help. John Wesley says this, give me 100 men. Who fear nothing but God, but fear nothing but sin, I'm sorry. 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they're clergymen or they're pastors or they're just laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. What is it that the kingdom of heaven upon earth needs? People that hate sin and love God. 
Do you hate sin? That's what repentance produces, a hate for sin. John Wesley said, give me 100 people that hate sin and that love God. I don't care if they're pastors. I don't care if they're just clergymen. I don't care if they, 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 they just came believers. I don't care if they're white color or blue color. What race they are, they alone will shake the gates of hell. Because they hate sin and they love God. Do you hate sin? That's what repentance produces. Let's keep reading verse 11. Look what else repentance produces. It says what fear it produced. Now we think sometimes it produces fear for God. Yes, it produces fear for God, but that's what he's talking about. He's talking about what fear it produced in them of falling back into sin. Do you have any fear that you're going to maybe go back to that lifestyle? And when it says what fear, they're fearing their weakness to sin. Because we're all weak towards sin. Notice that. Notice we are not stronger now than our flesh. That's why we need the Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And then it produced in them a fear for sin. That word fear, it also means it produced in them a caution, a reverence, a godly fear. They were so cautioned now. They had a warning now. They were, they were filled with caution not to go back into that sin. When you think about that lifestyle, is there any caution in you? Lord, I don't ever want to go back to, I'm, I'm cautioned now. I don't do things. I have set boundaries now. So I do not go back to that. Because not, it's not enough to cry about it only. It's not enough just to pray, not only enough to confess. Have you set any boundaries, any caution now, any fear in you that's saying, I'm, I'm going to draw that line. There's a fear. I don't want to cross that line. I don't want to cross it. There's some of us that are flirting with that line. That's not repentance. Repentance draws a line and says, I have a caution. Therefore, I will not cross that line any longer. That's what repentance does. But look at number five, the fifth reason of what repentance produces. Look what it says here. What vehement or what vehement desire. I love that. The word vehement means that what earnest, what earnest desire. And that, that word really falls in line with us as a church this week. Do you have a vehement desire? Vehement means an earnest now desire, a hunger for God. Repentance produces a hunger for God. When there's repentance in your life, guess what? You cannot wait to flip the pages of this book and say, Lord, just speak to me. Reveal these things to me, Lord. I have a hunger for God. That's what fasting means. Lord, I'm hungry for food, but I'm more hungry to hear from you. Lord, I have hunger to hang out with my friends. I have hunger to maybe connect with people. I have hunger maybe to go and do these things. But I'm more hungry for you and for your voice and to be fed off the will of God. I have a vehement desire now. It's a heart that truly desires a purity and godliness and doesn't want sin anymore. This is expressed through a heartfelt prayer of total dependence to God and say, Lord, I am hungry for you. How does your hunger for God look like? How does your appetite for God look like? You know when you come to church and you come to prayer, you know what it does? It builds your appetite. It builds your appetite for the Word of God. There are some of us that are struggling when it comes to our appetite. Have you ever had an appetite for something? You're craving something? Were you saying, you know what your repentance did? It, it, it built a craving, an appetite, a hunger for God. And that's exactly what repentance does. It says, now I want to go to church. I want to be at the prayer service. I want to be at the prayer meeting. I want to serve. I want to read my Bible in one year. 
Because I have a vehement desire in my life that repentance has produced a change in me. There is a desire now for the things of God. Number six, look what repentance produces in the life of those of Corinth. What now? Zeal. What zeal? I love that word zeal. There's some of us that have a lot of it, maybe a little too much zeal. And some of us that need zeal, right? Some of us that are, fall asleep, we need some zeal. What is zeal? I love what zeal means because it means hot. It means fervent. It means fiery. That's what zeal means. And zeal really speaks about passion. Not only a vehement desire, which means hunger, but also zeal means passion. It means that you're hot now towards God. That you're not cold, that you have a hot desire, that you are a, have a burning desire towards God and His righteousness. You have a hot desire for God, but also you're hot against sin now. Impurity, instead of laziness, instead of compromise, we have zeal. We want to walk with the Lord. You know what zeal does? I'm so, I am passionate about what I do. I have zeal. I'm zealous. I'm hot about doing this thing. I'm so fired up. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm filled with zeal. I'm fired up about church. Fired up about going, uh, sharing my faith with that person that needs the Lord. I have zeal. You know when you see zeal most in your life? When you first come to the Lord. But what happens after you come to the Lord and then you stop fellowshipping with people? You stop, there's no more accountability. Guess what? There's also no more zeal. I remember one time someone told me, you know what, Art, I want you to hang out with new believers. Because they have so much zeal and it's contagious in your life. There are times where we just want to hang out in little huddles and little cliques. We want to keep to ourselves. And guess what happens when you keep to yourself? That zeal dies very quickly now. Because zeal needs to be rekindled. Just like fire needs to be rekindled, so does zeal. Look at what happens if you put one log in the fireplace. What's going to happen to your fire? Your fire is going to die, but you, you mix those logs together with other logs as well that are ready to burn. Guess what's going to happen to that fire? That fire is going to be burning. That, that's what zeal looks like in the church for the Christian. Someone that is hot for the Lord, that is burning, that's fire. You can even, I love fire. You know when it's so cold and you turn on that, that, turn on that fireplace, what, what happens? Not, isn't it amazing? Not only can you feel it, but there's something beautiful about maybe having a fireplace on that you can hear it. Oh man, you hear like the chips and everything flying, the little sparks, and you just hear it breaking up the wood. Oh man, some zeal going on in that corner right there. I love when you hear, you see the Christian come in, and man, you just see from one place to another, can I serve here, can I serve there, hey, pick me, I want to do it. Man, you just hear the zeal. That's what repentance produces, it produces zeal. But number six, look what it also produces. It produces what? Vindication. Now, what does vindication mean? Vindication means that you have been declared innocent. It means that someone that was at one point now under reasonable suspicion of guilt now, they have been justified. Is the act of declaring someone uh, of blame or of suspicion now innocent or not guilty. You have been vindicated. No longer are you guilty. No longer are you with blame. You are blameless. You have been vindicated from that. You have been rescued. You have been set free. You no longer are guilty. You have been now vindicated. See, repentance produces a now freedom. A freedom from that. A freedom from guilt. A freedom from shame. It produces vindication. 
It, it produces, guess what? Justice in the life of the believer. Justice. That's so amazing because the Lord went to the cross to give you that spiritual justice. Among many others. But the spiritual justice that said, you know what? That person is declared now innocent. They have been vindicated from a past. They have been vindicated from their sin. They have been vindicated from the life of guilt and of shame. They have been freely cleared. There is justice on their behalf. I've paid the price. There is justice. I'm so comforted in that word. That God is able to stand up for me and for you. Think about this. The Bible says that we ought to stand up for those that have no voice. That we ought to plead for those that are weak. But then the Lord does that very same thing for you and for me. He now stands up for you. He says, you know what? I am the voice for them. I am their advocate. I come to give them justice. I have gone to the cross for them. I've covered their sin. Verse 11, let's read now as it continues saying, here, what vindication now. In all things, circle that church. In everything, in all things, it says here, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You did everything now to prove yourself clear. You have done everything necessary to make everything right from when you were wrong. See, in the first letter, 1 Corinthians, they had someone sleeping now with their stepmother. And they were okay with that. No one was saying anything. He said, but you guys have not accepted sin anymore. You guys called out sin. Right? You called out the sin. You called out the sin that's taking place in the church. You, you didn't just ignore it. You didn't just you know, hide it under the rug and sweep it under the rug and say, you know, we, we like people, so we're going to accept sin. You love people, but you don't love sin. You love them, but you don't love sin. Look at this. And you did everything possible, right here, verse 11, to clear yourself. You proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. There are times we're in a state of backslidden. And guess what happens? We do nothing to prove ourselves. And, and, and it's not about works, but it's about fruit. And, and this is why I say this. We do nothing to prove that we are doing the best we possibly can to make things right. Have you done the best that you can to make anything right? Have you proved yourself to do the best that you can to make things right at home? To make things right at church? To make things right at, at your job? That's what repentance looks like. I did the best that I can. It's not by my words. It's not by my feelings. I did it with my actions. I did everything right to prove myself clear now because I want to surrender to the Holy Spirit that convicts me of my sin and He points me now to the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness now to restore me. But I did everything right to clear myself of this sin. Doing everything right to clear you of this sin doesn't mean that you still hold on to it. It doesn't mean that you blame someone else. It doesn't mean you try to excuse yourself that you're not really guilty. We're all guilty of sin. But he says here, you church have done everything. You've done in all things. You proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Verse 12, therefore, because of this, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done wrong, no, for the sake of him who had suffered wrong. I'm not doing this to see who's to blame. I'm not doing this because of someone that was wrong. I'm not attacking the person that was wronged. I'm not, talking the, I'm not attacking the person that was wronging him either. Notice in verse 12. But that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. I did it because I loved you. The care 
for you in the sight of God may appear. You know why we, we, we confront someone with conviction, not with condemnation? Why do we confront someone? Not because we want to say you're guilty or you're not guilty or it's their fault or it's not their fault. That's what Paul is saying. I'm doing this. Why? So that you know that I care for you in the sight of God. I care that you are right with God. This is amazing here. Verse 12. But that I care for you in the sight of God may appear to you. I care that you are right in the sight of God. And I want you to know how loyal I am to you. I want you to know how much I love you. And then I cannot see you living your life this way. You see, he loved them, so he was willing to lead them to the Lord. He had a heart that motivated them to promote this type of unity. That he's saying, I love you so much. In first, Second Corinthians, this same letter, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For out of much affliction, Paul is saying, an anguish of heart, I was brokenhearted for you. There was an anguish, a pain of heart. I wrote to you with many tears. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> not that you should be grieved, not so that I can hurt you. I didn't want to hurt you. But that you may know the love which I have so abundantly for you. You know that it, what sin should do? It should produce an anguish of heart for others. Oh. It's an anguish. I'm heavy in my heart for that person. And I'm right with many tears. I'm going to text it. I'm going to call them. I'm going to confront them. I'm going to pull them aside with tears now. Because I need them to know how much I love them. Verse 13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. We have been encouraged, therefore. In what's taking place, we have been refreshed when I see the repentance. And we have rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus. Not only have we rejoiced, also Titus that have been, was sent over to you. I, we rejoiced in Titus. Why? Because of his spirit has been refreshed by you all. We're so excited to know that Titus, when he went to you... He was so welcome. There was so much hospitality. And when he told us about how encouraged he was of you, by you, we ourselves were encouraged as well. Now, do you know how he goes back to the idea of encouragement? What does he teach us here in verse 13? That encouragement, guess what it is? It's contagious. <laughs> Titus got encouraged by you. And when we saw him encouraged, then we got encouraged as well. What happens when you encourage someone? That person is going to get encouraged and go encourage someone else. And that person is going to use their gift for the body of Christ to build the body of Christ. Why? Because encouragement is contagious. And I pray that you would use more of it. Because it's healthy. It's needed in the body. It's a gift of the Spirit. Encouragement. The body of Christ would not work the way it does work if it wasn't for encouragement. It says, verse 14, For in, in anything, if in anything I have boasted to Him, it's about you. You know, Titus was a little skeptical. But I told him, I was so confident in you. I told him and I was boasting and I was proud about you. How you were going to repent. How there was going to be some life change in your life. I was boasting about you. There's nothing more that makes someone more proud than to boast about their children. right? I, I, this is something new to me. They say, oh my goodness, you cannot believe my son and my daughter, right? Man, you cannot believe it. I remember when my son first started to count to 10. Man, I told everyone at work he was counting to 10 before 2. I couldn't believe it. He was counted 10. <laughs> and look at this now. Maybe you with your own children or you have a, with your job or whatever it is that you like to boast about. Now Paul's saying, I love them so much. Wherever I go, I boast about them. When I talk to other pastors and leaders, I have such a strong desire and a heart to boast about the church here at Alive. And I, I say, you know what? And I talk to them, you know what? This church operates and does so much. I'm so blessed by them. Because they all have a full-time job. 
And they operate and they do what all you guys do and you guys don't have one. No, I'm just kidding. I don't tell them that. <laughs> but I say they're such hardworking people. And I have people and saying, you know what? I need guys like the one, the guys that you have over there. And I'm so happy to boast about for the glory of God. Not for me, but for the glory of God. Look what Paul's doing. He's boasting about them. And I'm not ashamed, but you, but as we spoke all these things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. I'm not ashamed about what I said. Because everything I said came true. Have you ever said something and you boast about it and brag about it, and then after you find out, hey, it wasn't as big of a deal as we thought it was? Paul is saying, you know what, everything I told Titus, it was proved right. Because he went and he saw for his eyes the transformation that would take place in your eyes, it was backed up. It's so awesome when you see and you talk about someone's spiritual walk and then someone sees them, someone sees them and says, you know what, everything they said about this person was true. The testimony, the transformation was found to be true. Now let's look at verse 15. And his affections are greater for you. Now he loves you even more, Titus. As he remembers the obedience of you all. He's, he loves you because he remembers how obedient you are and how with fear and trembling you have received him. How with fear and trembling you have received. Now he, he is so encouraged by you all. He loves you so much because he remembers the respect you gave him as a leader. He remembers the fear and trembling that, that, that is due to your leader. This is amazing here because the church now was demonstrating a respect. Titus came a young pastor. Look what he said. They accepted and received him as their leader. And he loves them. Verse 16 as we end. Therefore... Because of all of this, because of the spiritual growth, you were stuck in sin, now you're not. Because of the spiritual growth, therefore, I rejoice. This is amazing. I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. I'm, I'm confident in you. Why, why is he confident in them? Because their repentance was real. You can't have confidence in someone when their repentance is not real. You won't trust them. He's saying here, I trust you guys. Because your repentance has been real. He has confidence in that. And you know what we need today? We need repentance. We need to break up that hard soul in our hearts and say, Lord, I need it too. And sometimes we think, well, yeah, you know what? My, you know, my wife needs that repentance. I'm going to just pray she gets that repentance, you know? Or my husband, my son. You know, there are people that sometimes come. And every time they come up to me, I say, that message was so good. I'm glad you gave it. That was for my son. Next week, that was for my wife. You know what? That was for my other son now. Now, is it ever for you? <laughs> You think about this. What does he say? The confidence I have in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, it says. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you both. That you do and will to do the things that we command you. We have confidence in you. In 2 Thessalonians, we have confidence that you are going to do the things that we tell you. That, that's, that's what, you can only have confidence in someone that has proven themselves. That I'm not just saying sorry, I have they have confidence in me because I've proven myself. Can we all say we have confidence in one another as a body of Christ because we're saying we're going to be here for one another? Can we say we have confidence in one another because we're going to say we're going to be about the Word of God? The reason why sometimes there is no trust is because there's no repentance. If you want trust, you also need repentance. A lot of people say, you know what, you want trust, you need better communication. You got good communication. You can communicate out of... You know, 
a relationship. <laughs> you want trust? You want confidence in one another? Then you, there has to be real repentance. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, because today, Lord, you've demonstrated to us what the fruits of repentance look like. And I ask, Lord, right now for us that are here, God, that you would speak to us, move in our hearts, Lord.